This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming you a happy Thanksgiving. Maybe... A day late, perhaps when you're listening to this, you are digesting, napping, watching football, but definitely preparing for football Saturday night in Lawrence, Kansas, West Virginia, gunning for the Jayhawks as well as bowl eligibility. A primetime football game on FS1. Chris Anderson, how excited are you? As excited as you can be uh, for a, well, I guess it's a night game and I guess it's bowl eligibility, so some kind of excitement, maybe the most excited I think, or most uh, dialed in I've been for a West Virginia game against Kansas in a while. It's definitely the marquee WVU Kansas matchup. You made that point, I think, to me online, maybe offline earlier in the week, but it's typically just a uh, game. Sometimes it's fun because Charlie Weiss has just gotten fired. Um, I think they've played two interim coaches, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. So there's always something weird, but this one actually has stakes. Um, I think if you told West Virginia at the start of the season that something big would be on the line for the final home game or the final game of the regular season, they probably would have said, yeah, that's the point. I don't think they thought bowl eligibility, but hey, beggars choosers, right? Right. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you really could have argued this is a maybe a game. If you told me bowl eligibility or West Virginia needs to win this game and a couple other things to happen – for all the tiebreakers to go the right way and them to sneak into the championship game, I might have leaned more towards the latter before the start of the year. And, and maybe that's just a too optimistic look. But, um, yeah, I mean, hey, getting bowl eligible is better than not getting bowl eligible. If you're it does seem like good analysis. Yes, that's true. Um, $9.99 a month. Wait until Monday, <laughs> Cyber Monday especially. You get that a little cheaper. Bowl projections all over the map because they're – you have a weekend left here and then you're going to have CFP stuff that pulls some teams in from bowls that will otherwise elevate people in the middle or the, on the second cut of the conferences around the country. But if West Virginia does win six wins, going to get a bowl game. It does seem like a lot of people like our idea. Well, it's not proprietarily our idea, but there are some projections about WVU Tennessee in that Liberty Bowl. I've also seen West Virginia in Liberty against other SEC teams. That's ultimately up to the SEC. And then out to Phoenix, I believe it's an 11.30 EM, p.m. Eastern time kick in the, what is it, the Guaranteed Cheez-Its Bowl or whatever. Guaranteed Rate Bowl this time around, yeah. And some of those matchups are bad. <laughs> Like you don't want to see Minnesota or Rutgers. Could you imagine that? Oh my God. That'd be a tough one. I just don't know. There's a lot of pep in that one. So I don't know if people are rooting for the Liberty bowl or, or, but I think that there's a lot more juice in some of the sec matchups. And, and I mean, listen, the sec is in charge of it. If if the sec wants to make eight and four Kentucky against six and six West Virginia, it can do that. It can also get Tennessee in there, South Carolina, the Mississippi state was another one that I saw who knows, but 
um, boy, I don't know if you're pulling for it, but that's certainly one. And then they might, I, I don't think it can work out because of logistics, but they might end up in that first responders bowl in Dallas, which is like December. Is that before or after Christmas? It's it's barely a bowl game. It's like a high school playoff game. Yeah, no, it's, it's wait, no, no. I was looking at the guarantee rate, but yeah, first responders is afterwards, but that's the one that could be Houston. Uh, I don't know. Can you imagine a 10 win Houston in that game? I, I that's hey, that's where CBS has them right now, but well, Largely accurate at CBS. Yeah. But here, well, what about a couple of the ones that, that were kind of newish? I think somebody had them last week, but the Texas Bowl, I feel like that is, is that worse than even though, even though it ranks higher on the, on the bowl totem pole? Is that worse? Because it's that, it's that January 4th game, that random bowl game that happens after all of the big bowl games, all the January 1st ones, all the New Year's 6, all the, the, the semifinals of the college football playoff. And then there's always that random bowl that's like in the middle of the next week. That's the Texas Bowl. Is that worse like for, for West Virginia or at least for, like uh, I don't know, like for audiences? Are people tuning into that? It's, it's new, so that would be good. Obviously, the Liberty Bowl is not new. Skylar Howard's uh, pair bowl moment at WVU was the Cheez-Its Bowl, right? Yeah. Was that even the Cheez-Its Bowl back then? What was that? It was it was there against Arizona State. And yeah, it yeah. had an 1130 start time, too. I remember that guy. We won't get into bed till like three in the morning, four yeah. in the morning on that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be new, except that that game loves to have Texas teams. And the Longhorns are out. But believe it or not... Texas Tech is in uh, TCU with a win yeah. against. I'm forgetting who they play. Is it Texas Tech? No, I don't know. TCU could win and get into. There's two Texas teams, um, and again, that's going to be an SEC opponent. Uh, watch out for Baylor. If, if if Baylor ends up out of um, the CFP and then even like the Alamo or the Sugar, that could end up in Houston. That'd be a, a marquee game for a. a Texas team there too. It's all matchups. There's no rank of file, as you know. But I would think to answer your question, that would be good for West Virginia because it's new, a slightly better SEC opponent. And you're right, that exposure, that stage, that's that's one of those only game on TV opportunities there. That'd be a that'd be a significant stage for West Virginia if it does pull off, you know, four and two at the end of the season to get into a bowl game. I'd be okay with that if I was Neil Brown. Yeah, I I was wondering. I was thinking, you know, that it's the only only show in town, so to speak. Could be something, but there's the flip side of that of everybody's bowled out. You know that that'll be bowl game number forty of forty one. Basically, the only other game after that is the national championship game. So, yeah, new and alone on the TV schedule, that that could be enough to make it better. What they do to your off season though, because I think they come back to campus like maybe a week, 10 days later, um, you get into your off-season conditioning pretty quickly. I'm guessing you would have your off-season gap before the game as opposed to after. That would take some juggling, right? Yeah, that has to be the move. Once the semester ends at West Virginia, give them a couple couple weeks off, maybe after that second visit weekend so that, you know, the, the team can be around the recruits coming up on campus. And then they're basically done until Christmas, after Christmas. You know, December 26th, come back a little more. I, I don't know. That's that's a really long time to be waiting because, yeah, January 4th, and then usually they're reporting back, like, January 7th, January 8th, January 10th, somewhere in that range. Like, not not to practice, but for um, for school, 
getting ready for everything. And then off-season conditioning starts a couple weeks later. Again, a problem you would probably take considering where this could have been. And also, let's not forget where this could be. Um, people are not talking about bowl games around the program because they don't have it yet. And they've really had to fight and claw to get to here. Um, I will just say now, I would be stunned if West Virginia lost this game. I don't think it's going to be particularly dramatic either. Just by everything I've looked at here and the way I keep crunching it, I know Kansas is a nice story, but West Virginia's played better in the key matchup areas here. I'm never going to say never, but never guarantee anything either. But like a six win certainly does, does seem to be in the cards here. 17 point favorites. Um, the overrunner is about in a, a zone that you think West Virginia would play the game. Uh, tell me the the worst case for West Virginia to end up at five and seven here and how it could happen. How it could happen is I think we understand how it could happen where they win and maybe they win going away. Yeah. I think a lot of people wait for that other shoe or this is just the typical West Virginia. Oh, how could that be here? I think though, really the one way it happens is Kansas one throws the kitchen sink at West Virginia. There is no, you know, no dinking and dunking, no, none of that stuff. They're really going for the jugular the whole game, and they kind of sort of have the pieces to do that. Jalen Daniels is actually a pretty decent deep thrower, um, and we could start getting into the more analytical stuff if you want right now. But basically, he he's a decent deep thrower, and he has three wide receivers averaging over 11 yards per target, which is, I think, the only team that's better than that in the Big 12 is Texas. And mm-hmm. one of those targets isn't even on the team anymore so i don't even know if that counts but um and those receivers they go deep they don't go deep often like the kansas throws the least amount i think of everybody in the league but when they do they go deep they catch the ball they catch the ball kansas has the fewest drops in the league if the ball is in their area they catch it as a team they have 10 drops Mm. on the season um so I think where this could go wrong is if Kansas says, ah, screw it, let's go, and just starts throwing it deep. And we've seen West Virginia give up those big plays. We've seen that secondary with miscommunications, with, with missed assignments, and all of a sudden somebody's running 60 yards downfield for a touchdown. And I think that's the way it could happen in this game because there's no part of me that really sees Kansas' defense making a stop. I think it has to be – West Virginia's offense shooting itself in the foot, which is very possible. And Kansas just saying, screw it and going deep on defense and really beating up West Virginia. Yeah, this is not going to be a 16-12 game. No. <laughs> this will be a lot to a little. Like, like it could be it could be like 31 to 10, or it could be 45-35 too. I just I just don't see like where both teams struggle offensively and defensively. Maybe I guess that could happen if they it just if it gets into a shootout, but like I just the matchups just seem like they open the door for either a lot of points or, or something where one team creates some distance. And again, I think it'd be West Virginia creating the distance there. Uh, Kansas could win a shootout, so let's just stick with the offense here. Um, different, new, better with Jalen Daniels. What you say there surprised me about the players of the average depth of target. He Daniels is at seven point four, which is among players who have thrown qualifying number of passes he's thrown 96 the number is 100 so he's pretty much there it's one of the lowest most modest totals in the country just 7.4 yards he's 14 for 14 on screens he gets the ball out fast which is one reason he does not get sacked 
Um, that offensive line has played really well lately. Overall, never mind relative to where it was in the beginning of the season, they got run over early on by Coastal Carolina. Um, one sack in the first game, six sacks against the Chanticleers in the s- second game. Since then, just seven sacks in nine games. 1.27 per game, one of the lowest totals. Continuity on that offensive line. They had started the same group for eight straight games until last week. Made one change. That guy still played, but they have two transfer from Buffalo, center and right guard, who start, play. They have not allowed a sack this year, those two. It's a better offensive line. And then just some sneaky skill talent. Like, Daniels is going to get a lot of the attention. That Bean, the quarterback Jason Bean from North Texas, one, he played on the field with Daniels against TCU, so keep your eye on that. But he was on pace for like 900 yards rushing and an okay passer. And then Lasseter, Reaper, they have some receivers. And then this darn tight end, Casey, just keeps making plays. The walk-on got it going against Texas with his two-point conversion on his first career snap. Caught a game-tying touchdown pass last week. Made some other acrobatic catches. He might be a player, but offensive line, under-controlled concepts of their quarterback. Get the ball out quick, move the pocket. And then I would say fair skill talent around the quarterback now. Yeah, you, you made me go back and look at some of these receiving depth numbers after you pointed out uh, how, how Daniels isn't that great. There is a considerable drop for two of those guys, Wilson and Arnold, uh, mm-hmm. who are the outside receivers. But for Grimm, who typically lines up in the slot for them. I called him Reaper, didn't I? <laughs> I like it. Uh, he is he's up there like it, it's his numbers are still are still pretty significant. His numbers are still over almost 12, 12 yards per game in the last three since Daniels took over. So the other two guys, not so much deep threats as in, anymore, but this slot receiver is. And that kind of jives with some other stuff that I saw when I was looking up their um, passing numbers for for Daniels is that, uh, remember, was it two weeks ago where I was talking about the change in when Prather moved from, what is that, the X receiver to the Z? Yes. And, and I said, when you're that X receiver, when you're on the backside of the quarterback, you are typically doing – longer routes, deeper routes, making double moves because it's on the blind side of the quarterback. And it's it's more often than not, you're going to see some deeper p- pass plays or you're a double move that's going to bring it across the middle. And that is not the case at Kansas because Jalen Daniels very rarely throws to his blind side, which is standard for most quarterbacks. Uh, you, you typically throw where your field of vision it starts. And but when he turns and goes to his blind side, he doesn't throw deep. I think he only has like two passes deep over 20 yards to outside the left hash marks and no completions. So it tells me that, that that's a lot of tunnel screen type stuff or a quick slant type stuff that he's looking on that blind side. And again, it's not that much, but when you're looking for the deep pass, it's on the right side and it's coming some of the time it's coming from that slot receiver who is doing one of your favorite routes is sending that slot receiver into like a corner fade type of route. Mm -hmm. He does not go sideline to field. And when he does go backside, like you're saying, it's a check down. It's late in the progression. And it's a guy who's come back to the ball or who's just kept it alive and is doing jumping jacks because I think you're right. I think the defense kind of figured that out and just doesn't do a whole lot on that side and tries to take away early stuff and front side stuff. He does get rid of the ball. His again, among qualifying quarterback, he's not quite there yet, but if you get to 100 attempts, he's at 96, but his 2.58 seconds is one of the quicker releases in the country for guys who've been on the field a bunch, too. So they've got him schemed up to move the pocket, quick stuff, um, minimal reads. 
not a great, not 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 a prolific scrambler. He can run. We've seen that, but I don't think he pulls the shoot and, and tries to get out of the pocket so much. So this this may play into West Virginia's plan on defense. Um, Devin Neal, true freshman running back from Lawrence, Kansas. That's a nice thing to have. He's a starter. Looks like a guy. Um, injury questions about him. West Virginia expects him to play, but uh, again, a guy who was tracking for a thousand yards in a freshman season, once that offensive line got going, that's a good sign. Don't have a lot behind him. Um, Bean was a number two running back. And again, he, he may play some running back in a situation where he just takes handoffs and handoffs and runs, but he might also be able to pass it a la Garrett green, or even going back William crest, maybe <laughs> 2016 Baylor action for you. So they can do some creative things there too. And they shift in motion a ton. They, this is a, this is kind of one of those teams that the coach, Figured out, okay, we had 15 ideas. Uh, six of them stink, and three of them we're not sure about. So let's get rid of the six that stink. Let's think about how we can incorporate the three that we're not sure about into the six that really work. And you're seeing a small number of plays with all sorts of formation and personnel and pre-snap stuff, which is what they're going to have to do. You could turn six or nine plays into 18, 21 plays just by doing different formations and pre-snap uh, routines and that's given West Virginia trouble and if they find a way to again match somebody up in the slot or outnumber somebody outside it could be a big run it could be a big pass play uh, I don't know how West Virginia would be prepared for this if they're not already but that has been when they've kind of blown their top on defense they've just gotten outflanked because of a, uh, a pre-snap routine however they're going to play this dime defense it sounds like they're not going to let the ball go deep, and they're just going to rally to the ball and tackle. And, and as Neil Brown said, they gave up one or two explosive runs to Texas, but after that it was four, five, six yards, and they were able to get off the field. This defense really could work against Kansas and make Kansas piece together drives and you know, be efficient instead of explosive, which is not necessarily what Kansas can do. Uh, run the ball effectively, again, not what they're great at. And Kansas's best thing maybe is pass protection on offense or – executing quickly in offense, but if you're not going to rush the passer and you're just going to rush to make tackles, that may be advantage to the WVU defense. Yeah, everything you're just saying there, it <clears throat> pardon me, is is going towards that line of if we're going to pick somebody to blow this blow this game away, it sounds like it's going to be West Virginia because all of the indicators are pointing there. Uh, it, you, that was a great point about going to that dime defense. That's going to shut down the, the one way that I said I could see Kansas beating West Virginia. Mm -hmm. and, and that was Jordan Leslie. He even said in that Texas game, their plan was, I mean, they had to go to that dime package because of personnel issues, but their plan was to, hey, you might chunk off some yards uh, in the running game, but we're not going to let you beat us deep. And they did that. They did that. And Texas got their yardage on the ground, but they didn't do any big, big, huge pass plays. I think a couple of them, but nothing too, too detrimental. And, they're going to try to, I assume, do the same thing against Kansas. And if Neil is banged up, what is Kansas going to do? Like, <clears throat> there's just not that many weapons on that team. They have a few good ones for sure. But if Neil's, if Neil's banged up or, or, God forbid, out of the game, that running game is shot. And West Virginia's defense is going to be lined up to take away the passing game. Have you seen Neil play? Well, Yeah. Kind of impressive, about 5'10", yeah. 2'10". Um, and then looking at his numbers, he has hit 40-yard runs in three different offensive line zones, which is pretty impressive. Um, missed tackles, he misses, makes people miss a lot inside and then gets outside. That's fun for a guy that's that big. He's supposed to do that. But they they pretty much 
spread him out. I mean, he's outside the end on either side about as much as he's outside the tackle on either side too. I mean, pretty, there's not a whole lot of cues with him. Like, okay, he's definitely going to run to the left guard or the right side or whatever here. Maybe they can break that down in the down and distance in situations that are predictable. But you just look at the chart here and, and his numbers of carries in different zones on the offensive line, hard to predict. And he's been effective in every spot. That's a pretty good talent there too, especially if you've got a running quarterback. And I do wonder if he doesn't play or play very much, how much of that he's being in the backfield as a running back who could, by the way, play quarterback. Shoot. Um, I think, I mean, I, I'm not even aware of what their backup, their backup running back situation is. So I think that's something they have to at least consider again is what's the point of this last game. If you're not going to try to throw everything out there and I imagine Kansas will. And, uh, again, like I said, beans, a good athlete. Would you say he was on pace for 900 yards, thousand yards for a while? I was on pace for a thousand. It's 750 right now. So he slowed down. He's heated up a little bit, but you know, if you gave him two more games, he might be able to get you a 250. Not going to happen, but good start. Their backup running back, um, Amari Pesic Hickson, 48 carries, 158 yards. We'll talk about not giving a not giving a guy a break. A break. We're talking about that up here in Morgantown, and um, that that's bad right there. And he got nine carries against TCU, six against Texas. So he's gotten 15 of his 48 carries, about a third of his action the past two weeks. And then just to underscore this, uh, yeah, Bean is their number two running back when carries. And then they have a receiver who is number four in carries. He's got tw- uh, 36 carries this year, too. So uh, if um, if Neil doesn't play very much or very well, again, look for a running back to get some snaps behind him. But watch out for two quarterbacks in the backfield and watch out for a receiver to get some action because – Hey, what do you have to lose, too? And and they're they've been tricky again. They played the two quarterbacks last week, and then they they tied the game against TCU late in regulation with like a tackle eligible play where they they did a whole bunch of pre snap stuff, and their tight end was playing left tackle, but they had enough people on the line of scrimmage and in the backfield where the tackle was eligible. He sneaked behind the defense. Nobody was ready for it, and it was that Casey guy that walk in that walk on tight end who uh, who ended up making a, a pretty memorable highlight play again touchdown that tied the game and. The problem is Kansas can't stop anybody on defense on the on the ground, and TCU was able to run it too. But um, the offense does scare you a little bit. The trouble is for Kansas, they also have to play defense, and they're not very good at that. Yeah, you ready to go there? Should we Let's just go. start throw, start throwing numbers out there because it's it's bad. Like it's the worst defense in the country. Yeah, I mean, I think in some of the numbers that I'm looking at, it you know they're 129th out of 130, and in that 130th team is UMass. If you are any in any category anywhere near UMass in football, you're in bad shape, real well, bad, embarrassingly bad shape. Unless it's clam bakes, <laughs> like you, you should not be. You should not be in the same breath as UMass when talking about run defense, and that's exactly where Kansas is, like within a tenth or so of UMass for the worst run defense in the entire country. So TCU, we know, can run the ball. Um, they played Max Duggan at quarterback. Max Duggan has one foot. Like, he's dragging it around the field. He ripped off a 45-yard run, had 75, 76 yards rushing in that game. They had 326 on the ground. And that's, for, for Kansas standards, that's really bad. It's one of the worst, 10 worst numbers in the, what, 10 years that West Virginia's been in the Big 12. Um, it's it's bad because teams know it can be bad. And if we go back to the WVU-TCU game, they got the offense clicking a little bit because they could run the ball against a really bad TCU run defense. This run defense is no less predictable, but actually worse than TCU's. That TCU game that you're just talking about right there, uh, 326 yards, four touchdowns, 
and it was not even in the top three worst rush defense performances for Kansas in Big 12 play, Yeah, like as far as the average goes. They allowed 6.65 yards per carry in that one. Against Kansas State, 8.07. Iowa State, 8.79. Baylor, 6.82. Like that, that Texas game, the one where Texas scored 56 points and lost their starting running back, who should have been a Heisman candidate, mm-hmm. was the best game Kansas has played in run defense against an FBS opponent yeah. all year. And Texas averaged over five yards a carry. It's not good. <laughs> like I, I, I don't know how to stress just how bad. Like w- when we talked about West Virginia running the ball against TCU and the offense getting going against them and getting going against Texas, and it was like, does it? Do we even know if West Virginia's offense is fixed because those defenses are so bad? If this were on a chart, we'd be pointing over here and then have to go off the chart to show where Kansas is. Like it's not even in the same ballpark, and Texas and TCU were bad. I don't, I, I don't know how many passes Jared Dagey needs to throw in this one, except that he could really pick them apart too. I mean, he could he could throw forty times for three hundred something yards, and it could be a perfect execution of the game plan too. Like I, I don't want to say it's pick your pick your pleasure here if you're West Virginia's offense. I, I mean, I think they'll probably do what they always do, but their pass defense is just as bad. Yeah. Did you see the 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 graph I I excelled up yes. for the board? Like, that was from good. our conversation. I was I, I tried to explain it like on the fly because I think I was looking at it as we were podcasting last time and tried to explain it and I don't know how clear it came through. So I put it in graph form, and it's literally the more pressures on the quarterback that an opposing team has for the season. So I, their total pressures for the season. The more they have, the worse West Virginia's offense has been. Because my point was, the one and only big key to beating West Virginia is getting pressure on Daigie. And the entire offense falls apart. And it is almost an exact perfect, uh, whatever you want to say, correlation between those two things. TCU was West Virginia's highest average yards per play for the year. And they were the lowest in pressures. Well, I got it right here. One to almost seven yards per play. And they have a total of 127 pressures. Kansas has 129. Like that's that's what we're talking. The the three best offensive perform four best offensive performances. The four teams that have fewer than 150 pressures on the year. TCU, Iowa State, Texas Tech, and Texas. And West Virginia has averaged 6.96, 6.47, 6.84, and 5.28 yards per play. It's the only four times that West Virginia has averaged over five yards per play in Big 12 play. Mm-hmm. And Kansas is at 129 in pressures. So, again, <laughs> every single trend, every single stat says West Virginia's offense should have absolutely no issue moving the ball. And again, not not a defense that creates a lot of turnovers because they're not hitting the quarterback to cause fumbles or errant passes. They don't they don't break on balls and get PBUs or strips or things like that too. So I don't think turnovers are that big of a deal. And just everything else you got to be good at. They're not good at um, everything that West Virginia has to be good at to win a game the way they want to play. It worked perfectly against Texas because Texas could not guard against that. Kansas is worse and markedly worse. And then again, if you don't pressure the passer and you don't have people who get pass breakups around the ball. They're playing, I think, two true freshman corners, if not, they're very young. Um, 
they play three high safeties. There's going to be room. Uh, it's not that cover two that Daigie can stare at and pick apart because he sees the field and halves and quarters. But if you're playing a cover three, but you're putting one high safety, like you're still breaking into two because that one high safety is going to have a field to his left and his right. If you play three high safeties or three safeties deep, you're going to have room to go short, slant, run the ball, like check with me stuff is going to be good for West Virginia. They've done, I would say, much more of that in the second half of the season. They've gotten from a good call to a better call or from a bad call to a good call because they've been able to sit back and read. They're they're just not trying to pedal to the metal on offense, so that's fine. That's why their time of possession is up. I just, I just don't see it here, too. And then no pressure, one of the fewest pressure sack rates, one of the lowest sack rates, fewest pressure rates, fewest pressures in college football. And then opponents, by the way, have the highest completion percentage in college football against Kansas. That is a disastrous formula, no matter who you're playing against. But if you're playing against a team that only does a couple things consistently well on offense, which is, you know, complete, completable passes and and just get the runs when they're there, like West Virginia does, that's all they need. You're kind of spoon feeding West Virginia success. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Kansas is uh, too deep at the cornerback position. Uh, they do have an or for a super senior as a backup, but here are the other four. True sophomore, true freshman, true freshman, redshirt freshman. That's It'll be t- good. That's, that's tough, a corner. I mean, they're going to be, they could be good in a couple years, but I feel like we're saying that all the time with them because now I'm thinking of that kid from Louisiana that played for them a couple years ago who West Virginia tried to get on late because they found some loophole to get him to graduate high school early, and West Virginia tried to sneak him out, but Kansas got him, and he played as a freshman that was a true freshman, even though he was supposed to be a senior in high school. And was very good for two years, and now he's gone. And I cannot remember where he went. I'll look that up while you take it from here for a minute. Well, if you're going to look at defense and what you have to do and who you have to avoid, uh, Kyron Johnson, that's their playmaker. He was excellent against Texas. He was disruptive. He made a lot of things happen. Um, He's their leader in sacks, hits in the quarterback, hurries, uh, a veteran guy. And... I don't know. That's the guy that you would think because he is going to be an edge player that he would be successful against West Virginia's offensive line because the edges haven't been very good. So he plays, again, pretty much exclusively on the outside. He plays much of his action. I would say he's definitely an edge guy, like a five or a three guy, something like that. But like he's going to be your pass rusher on the edge. He's not going to be inside a defensive lineman. He's not going to be a tackle. So He's going to be lined up against Yates or Milam, which suddenly, Chris, is not the major disadvantage. Milam has been noticeably physical. 
I would say confident too. He just looks like he knows he can play now and that you better have gotten me earlier on because I'm going to get you now. He kind of plays with that streak, but man, quietly, Brandon Yates' scores have been good. You haven't heard a lock rim. I don't believe he's given up a sack the past two games. And then to my surprise, but also satisfaction, Neil Brown said that he was one of the few bright spots in the offensive line against Kansas. And then he just played his best game against Texas, which is, I don't care if it's Texas, like Texas has guys up front who are probably going to be NFL players. That's a heck of a feather to have in your cap. Suddenly, the tackles are good outside of the guard center and the guard, which has been the strength all season. Yeah, the uh, the guy I was thinking of, by the way, Corion Harris, who is now at McNeese State. Don't no. know why he left, but that's where he is. Uh, as for Yates, that was going to be one of my key matchup things because for the season, he has allowed the most pressures in the entire Big 12 conference. However, he's allowed just two in the last two weeks. And his pass, his pass block grade average for the first 10 weeks of the season was around a 50. Now, 65 is what you're like is supposed to be average to above average. It was a 50 with a couple games, including a 29, a 19, and only one game above average for the first 10 weeks of the season. In the last two weeks, again, you're shooting for 65 to get above average. 90.7 against Kansas State and 84.8 against Texas. I was shocked by the Kansas State score. I went back and looked at it. I was like, what? I, I thought my eyes were deceiving me and I was looking at the long, the wrong line or something like that. But no, it was Yates. And then just flipping through some plays randomly on YouTube. Yeah, he, he looked he apart. Looked so, like, he's been, I mean, I don't want to take credit here. Oh. But, you know, called him out in the three key matchups right before that Kansas State game saying that, he had gotten no pressure from the public, from Neil Brown, from the coaching staff, at least not publicly. I mean, maybe you know behind closed doors they were on him about he, him needing to play better. But we hadn't heard anything about him playing poorly. And the staff hasn't isn't big on singling players out, like no staff really is. But, you know, we've heard comments from Neil Brown like, hey, the right side of the line needs to play better. Uh, we saw Jordan White rotate in with um, Doug Nestor. We saw Parker Moore get replaced by Wyatt Milam. So there was movement there. They were noticing it, but they were doing nothing, saying nothing about left tackle when he was actually, according to all the metrics that we have, performing basically the worst on the on the offensive line. And now he's playing the best, like just like that. Just the last two games, just boom, there he is. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, like you said, against two pretty good teams, like Kansas State and Texas, that's that's good because Kansas State, they had the sack leader in the conference. Uh, Texas, as you mentioned, is going to have as a handful of four and five star recruits that are going to go to the NFL one day. Like he didn't do that against, you know, against Kansas or against Long Island or something like that. He did it against two really good defensive fronts. Kyron Johnson has six and a half sacks. His teammates have five and a half. <laughs> so that's not good. Six and a half. I'm sorry. Six and a half. They have 13 here. So he has six and a half. No one else has more than one. Um, and again, he's he's going to play some hand on the ground defensive end. But like he's he's not like again, he's not a three or a five. He's going to play like outside linebacker, stand up and pass rush. But he can get down. And I think that what they find success with with him, is he going to be a guy who comes from a three point stance or be like a just two hands on the ground or two hands off the ground, two feet on the ground. And he's going to gun at the ends. We'll see. But they they almost have to do something with him to manufacture pressure. He's their only guy that can really do it. Um, and I just, I just think that the tackles are good enough 
that maybe you don't have to keep a running back in. Maybe you don't have to keep a running back and TJ Banks in. And I just, I just think if you're flooding your passing zones against their one high safety cover three that's not going to put their corners in jeopardy, um, you're going to have underneath stuff and you're going to have time to wait for windows to open, wait for receivers to clear a defender, square in, slants. This, this could be a day where if Daigie's accurate, the weather's fine, it's not wet or windy. Um, pitch and catch conditions, that, that could be really good for them. And then I think Kansas wants to keep you from hitting the home run ball. So if Bryce Ford Wheaton doesn't play, you lose a vertical element, or if he doesn't play effectively, sure, you lose a vertical element. But I just don't think that Kansas is going to risk with the three high safeties, with the one that's going to be deep all the time. I don't think they're going to try to let you go deep a whole lot. So even the uh, even the adjustment you might have to make without your ex receiver who can go down the field, who can go up and muscle, you know, younger, thinner, lighter corners out of the way. If you don't have that. Okay, it doesn't necessarily hurt. It might push you even more toward where all your chips are here in the middle of the table for this game plan. I just I just keep coming back to this. I don't see a lot of negatives. Um, so let's try to find a negative. What what do they have to avoid either from their own undoing on offense or from something that Kansas does or can do well on defense? I mean, the only way I, th- I see this offense falling apart, I think, is, I mean, the pressure, which we've already noted, doesn't happen. So unless Kansas does something – otherworldly something they haven't done before i don't see that happening and then it just comes down to interceptions and or turnovers really not just interceptions but because even though kansas doesn't get pressure even though they haven't gotten a lot of pass deflections and attacking the ball there is still the element of west virginia just doing it to themselves and we have seen them do it to themselves i haven't gone through every single turnover that west virginia has this year but I imagine a little chunk of them, I'm not going to say half or more than half, but a chunk of them have been self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, I'm not trying to take away from what opponents have done this year, but there have been a lot of mistakes by West Virginia this year where the opposing team had absolutely nothing to do with the quote-unquote big play for the other team. So I think that that's really the only way I see West Virginia having a problem with that. Did Stone Cold Steve Austin just show up at your office? I have no idea what that is. I'll let you take it for a second, and I'll come right back. The glass shattered there, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll go into that, too, and 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 just lean on this. Like, if they play their game and they, they don't go backward against a team that doesn't get TFLs or sacks, West Virginia has not committed a lot of penalties lately. And while, while it's not a good habit to get into third and long, they were in third and long against Texas. Uh, I would say more often than desired got out of it but also had pretty manageable second downs and third downs Um, I felt like they picked their spots on second down because they were very confident in their plan on third down so what does that mean they were productive on first down and knew that hey we had a good first down we got four five six yards we're gonna need six five four yards on third down we got this let's be a little bit frisky on second down um Second down is a down you can have a lot of fun in, especially if you have a confident plan and you know the other team isn't good on third down. West Virginia got into 20 third downs against Texas. You'd like that number to be lower because that's 20 opportunities to get off the field um, and then either kick a field goal or punt or something like that. Even if you're good on third down, 10 out of 20, you're going to leave yourself 10 decisions as to whether punt, kick a field goal, go for it, whatever. Um, If you have 12 third downs and you're good six you're leaving yourself just six of those so the point being 
going 12 out of 20 is really good work. And then they went for two fourth downs. They kicked a field goal, I think, on third down. They scored two touchdowns on third down. They just had a good plan on third down because I think that they were trying to be a little bit more potent and prolific on second down. So watch that one there, too. I think they believe they can run the ball on first down. Let's see what type of damage they can do on second down because it's there. If they want to do it, they can make that happen. Um, I just think that they're they're suddenly confident in their offense. If you just listen to what they've said, um, again, going against Texas and saying this, we just felt like if we could not let them throw it over our heads, we'd be able to stop their run. And then we knew we could do a handful of things consistently well on offense and score points to win the game. And they did. And they're not facing a better roster. They're not facing a better defense. I think their offense is, is better than it's probably been in the second half of the season, even though we saw good offense against um, Iowa State. But, like, I think this is a continuation of that. And the fact that they've sat down and said, we're going we're gonna to kick some things out of our playbook and we're going to focus on a smaller number of plays and repping them and just giving guys opportunities to be successful. I think it makes a difference here. And I just, I just don't see them losing this game if they stay out of their own way, which obviously is a big one there. Are you alive, Chris? He's not alive. That was stone cold breaking in the glass shattered. A stunner here at the end of the podcast. I will kick into what we're going to expect after the game. Uh, we'll talk about this sometime, I'm guessing, close to midnight Saturday. And I don't know, what player, what thing are we going to talk about here? What has decided the outcome? And I just can't get past the fact that we're going to be going into the 12th game of this season. Really confident about West Virginia's offense. And granted, a lot of it has to do with the Kansas defense and what it can and cannot do. But I think if there's something to be said at this point about getting to a six win in a bowl game, then it's going to be largely derived from what the offense has been able to do. So if they can stare at a second straight opponent on film in a power five conference and say, I can do this. We should be able to do that. Let's call this. Let's not run this. Let's add this. And it all works. And then by the way, a team that had been stung by negative plays, moving backwards, turnovers, mistakes, balls off the face mask that get intercepted. If it just plays clean, which is not necessarily like a commendable thing this late in the season, but it's certainly a goal and something that they can and have done. Um, I, I just think that the yards and the points are going to be there and they're going to be successful. So I would just say, like, don't step on the rake. If 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 they do it, that's going to be what we're talking about, that once again, they play clean. And if you just look at what they did on offense last game, 87 snaps, no turnovers, one penalty on offense, uh, four possessions in the red zone. Four touchdowns. They just kind of checked every box they had to do. And if you can do that twice in a row, listen, that's how you go from four and six to six and six and into a bowl game. Uh, Chris, I'll spin it to you. After the game, who, what are we talking about that has influenced the outcome? Okay. Uh, Chris has messaged me. Um, DM on Twitter. Got to go. Someone just smashed a window at the office. Feel free to wrap it up or we can do two minutes in a bit. Uh, that sounds like an oh, emergency. Wait. No, I'm back. Oh, he's back. Yeah, some guy just uh, backed his truck up with a ladder on top and smashed it right through the window of the office. So I thought it was a brick with a message from Randy Edsel. Oh, <laughs> uh, God, what a day. I just went over my uh, my. What are we talking about after the game that has influenced the outcome? And I went with West Virginia's ability or inability to 
stay out of its way and just do this thing that it believes it can do on offense effectively. If they do six wins, congratulations, you made a bowl twice in a row. They've just kind of dictated to the other team's defense. If not, well, that's a negative, and that certainly sent us into the offseason with uh, a dour directive, I guess. But over to you. Who, what are we talking about after this game that explains the outcome? I think if it, if it's a loss, that's exactly what it is. Otherwise, I think, you know, one area I'm watching here, and it and hate to, you know, break it to some people who might not be thinking about this, but this could be the last game for Letty Brown. And he has had a fantastic uh, last couple of weeks, last few weeks. Uh, fantastic might be too strong of a word, but he's really changed the way that his season has gone. Uh, we went into detail about that last week, about how his – change we didn't know if it, i didn't know if it was a change in run type you know they had switched to more gap scheme and maybe that had been more helpful well against texas they went back to more zone scheme and he was again just fine for the first time this season broke 100 yards after contact again was averaging over three yards of con um, after contact per attempt he had 10 missed tackles forced yeah. this season uh only had one other game more than five uh, all year long, and that was eight against Iowa State. And now that makes one, two, three, four of the last five games he's had five or more missed tackles forced when he only he never had more than three in the first six games of the year. So he's ending on a strong note. He could crack a thousand yards. He's moving into that top five. And uh, you know, again, I, I haven't heard anything. I'm not predicting anything, but we do know, and we have seen. That those seniors who have NFL aspirations, especially running backs, quarterbacks, um, kind of bow out of the of the bowl game and start getting ready for the NFL draft. So not something I've heard with Brown, but it, it is something to remember. This could be the last time you get to see him out there. One thing I, I just have to point out, if we're talking about margins and how West Virginia can create them, Candace is very good on special teams. They, they, they are. They're very good with field position, and they manage a lot of damage sometimes just by being able to control it. Good kickoff guy, good punter, good returners, and they don't give up a lot in the return game. I just think that West Virginia is going to be able to get out of corners with field position, and, and we'll see what its defense can do if it gives up short fields or whatever. But um, there there is a discipline and a attention to detail on Kansas that I think is going to be apparent. Doesn't turn the ball over, doesn't commit turnovers, and is good on special teams. When you're looking at a coach who's coming in and trying to implement – the many, many fixes that are required to get Kansas going in the right direction, it begins there. That's ground-level stuff, but they do it. And and sometimes it does show up, and um, sometimes it doesn't matter. Though. Like, Texas was in that game because I don't know what happened, but they were minus four in turnover margin and gave up a blocked punt or got a blocked punt. So it's not perfect for Kansas, but watch that. Kansas is good on special teams. They can they can do some things there that'll that could – put West Virginia in the corner, but I just I just think the offense is going to be able to be effective from start to finish. I'm with you. Chris, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, good luck with that window. Um, I'm guessing you won't be asking to borrow his ladder to put up Christmas lights on <laughs> Saturday, huh? Absolutely will not. All right. Well, until then, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.